Hello, and welcome to House of Decline, a beautiful episode that we've got for you today. We're talking about cartoons. We're talking about authorship. We're talking about a lot of stuff, but before we get to that, I want to mention our Patreon. We're doing Patreon plugs right at the top of the episode. We didn't do it last week because we're not business-minded folk. We don't know about that stuff. Now we're doing it now. Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. Give us money. You get more content, bonus comics, fan requests, access to our Discord. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of crazy guys and there's a bunch of crazy fun-loving guys in there. We're doing advertising. We're we're admin now. That's what we are. Do you like the sound of this music? It's Josephine Network, and they are on tour right now, or soon, coming to a city near you. On 420, they'll be in D.C., 421 in Durham, North Carolina, 422, Richmond, Virginia, 423, Wilmington, North Carolina, 425, Charlottesville, Virginia, 426, Charlotte, North Carolina, 427, Knoxville, 428, Atlanta, Georgia, 429, Athens, Georgia, 430, Asheville, North Carolina, and May 1st in Baltimore, Maryland. It's Josephine Network. Me and my boys got it all figured out pretty good. Um, so do that, but also today... Uh, we have in studio, uh, <laughs> Stephen, as always. Hello. And uh, a guest we I've wanted on for a long time, a great cartoonist, the wonderful Rory Blank. Howdy. Rory. So, hello. Um, I don't know. Can, can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you very well. Cool. Hi. Uh, I, I just spaced out for a second and I was remembering something from a decade ago. <laughs> what were you remembering? Um, and so I guess this is kind of in a very, very vague way related to what you were talking about. Apparently, mm-hmm. like over the last couple of days, um, people have been having some sort of really nebulous conversation about the idea that David Lynch is a conservative, which is also <laughs> like, you know, not really supported by anything other than just his use of... Um, the aesthetics of uh, suburban life and cops. He likes cops, I guess. In that, but maybe, uh, maybe who knows? Yeah, maybe. But like, he was an eagle scout. Yeah, but what I, I remembered because I've been seeing people talking about this for the last few days is like in 2012, before the the, the 2012 election, he wrote an essay um, endorsing Barack Obama <laughs> that went as follows. I am going to vote for re-electing President Obama. I have noticed something in Mitt Romney's name, which I think speaks about what he is, <laughs> what he's it, about. Yeah. If you rearrange a few letters, Romney becomes our money. <laughs> I believe Mitt Romney wants to get his mitts on our money. <laughs> he would like to get it and divide it up with his friends, the big money bunch. <laughs> I would believe you would like to get his mitts on our money, our resources, our freedoms, and our American dream. I do not trust Mitt Romney to look after the best interests of 99% of Americans. I think electing Mitt Romney would be a, catastro- a catastrophe for our country, one which would be real difficult to straighten out later. 
please do not let Mitt Romney get his mitts on <laughs> our money or our United States of America. I think that's great. Couldn't you couldn't you picture the the creepy dude from Lost Highway saying that? You know, that. and also every just just to be clear, in case it wasn't readily apparent, every instance of the word "our" is just the letter "r." Yeah, not I would have gone our. with not our money, but our money. Our. It sounds it sounds like a it sounds like a rapper M Night Shyamalan would come up with our yeah. money. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure somewhere in the annals of '90s sitcoms, there's a, a rapper named Our Money. It, but yes, you bring it up because what we're talking about today is we're going around about the concept of death of the author. Uh, but rather, I have come up with a patented Alex uh, hairbrain theory that I call birth of the author, uh, which is sort of uh, in the in the age of infinite reproduction of the Internet, stuff loses its context, its initial context, like right away, immediately, immediately. if it gets popular. But then after like a few years out there, people discover the origin of where it's from and suddenly that work becomes recontextualized once you learn about its context in the author's body of work, uh, and through that body of work, the author's biography itself. So first, we have to talk about death of the author. So uh, Roland Barthes, around the uh, early 20th century, theorizes death of the author, right, which is about uh, removing a text from the biographical context of the author. When you analyze a text, all you care is about the logic and the world within the text and not about the uh, subject that is shaping it. So I want to get uh, both of your views on this. Uh, uh, Stephen, what do you think of death of the author? Do you have any general thoughts? Uh, not really. <laughs> you don't have any real thoughts on death of the author? Why? Do you not care? Um, I guess I don't understand it. You, what don't you understand about it? Like what it what it means? Okay, so death of the author. Let me re say again. Uh, so uh, you, the author uh, doesn't matter. His biography doesn't matter. The information in his life uh, is of no bearing to your analysis of uh, a story that he has written. Is he one of these French guys who's like um, like Derrida? Uh, I, yeah, I think he, he comes, okay. he's contemporaneous with Derrida and it's about sort of the removal of meaning through metatextual analysis. So the fact that I'm just looking at his Wikipedia and that he's a structuralist means I kind of just de facto disagree with whatever he has to say. <laughs> Why do you disagree with structuralism, Stephen? Because they're just annoying. <laughs> What's annoying about them? Um, I come up with these harebrained ideas. Yeah, yeah, like me, like yeah, me. yeah. <laughs> We're doing post-structuralism right now. Uh, yeah, supposedly. I mean, I don't know. You gotta. It's. Uh, I'm not familiar with the concept, so I'll have mm -hmm. to like do uh, a little an, reading. An easy way to think about it is uh, this is why it's totally fine that Louis C.K. just won a Grammy for uh, best comedy album because he's completely divorced from his work. It's a standalone thing. Oh, okay. yeah, and it doesn't. Mean I mean, people really seriously very much make that argument. Even people I respect will make that argument. Uh, that's, that's, um, yeah, I mean, I can see I can see like there being a, a, a argument for this being a real phenomenon in general, but that seems goofy with stand up in particular because you are yourself the product in that case. Mm hmm. 
You know? And I mean, some people would argue that you're playing a heightened version of yourself, a character. Uh, so it, it, while it does co-sign to reality, it's not necessarily, the, because it is heightened, it is divorced from it. But I think that's also an interesting point, because nowadays we have this whole parasocial atmosphere where it is highly important uh, we, it seems like we as a society have rejected death of the author almost wholly because uh, it seems very important to a lot of people that the author have sort of good moral values to the point where, uh, like you said, like with David Lynch, if you, people even got, oh, he's uh, might be conservative. I don't know how I feel about this. This might, you know, th there becomes this sort of uh, 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 uncertainty about whether you can enjoy his work if you don't have the same uh uh, biographical idiosyncrasies is them. So I yeah. think, I think it's interesting. It's weird. weird. Si yeah. Simultaneously, like it's very important to know like the exact degree to which every artist whose work you consume is a virtuous or evil person, but mm -hmm. also like by dint of it being online, it is immediately removed from any kind of larger context and becomes a thing that gets immediately like rewritten and reformed and, and repurposed mm -hmm. everywhere constantly. Like I, pretty frequently find my comics with other texts that people put on them and that's fine it's whatever other than like occasionally somebody will rewrite one of them to just take the nuance out of it like somebody I've... thinks they're making a funny meme out of it but they're literally just making the same joke that i made but without <laughs> I any love of that. the subtext <laughs> I love it. I love it when people do that. I love it when they make a worse version of the joke that you made. What's even worse is when they make a better joke. <laughs> that's, oh, yeah, no, that's that's fine. That's yeah, that, that cool keeps me humble. Oh, no, I'm I'm like I'm instantly like you showed me up, you bastard. I'll push you down the fucking stairs. You don't you don't upstage me. Uh, Pretty much but, the only thing that actually bothers me in response is people like fact checking things. People mm -hmm. who think that like you can't make a joke that is a lie. Yeah. Like yeah. yesterday I reposted a, a thing made in 2019. It was just the, the classic trolley pro problem drawing, mm -hmm. but with the guy who has his hand on the lever and the popular illustration yeah, yeah. It, laying his huge penis out across the tracks. <laughs> right. Of course, you, of course. Yeah. I, but, I, saw uh, this I have like funny. four fucking people tell me yesterday, I don't think you could actually do that. I think you think you, your penis can do more than it's capable of. It's well, a fucking joke. <laughs> it's a girl. Yeah. And Nobody today, thinks they can do that. Well, some people are what very clever. What do you think clever. you're proving? <laughs> some people are very clever. You see, I, but I, the reason why I have you on is because I think, um, I think you particularly have these moments in your cartooning career online where your stuff gets totally decontextualized and then recontextualized once they realize it's you and it works within your oeuvre. So, uh, like, um, generally, uh, you do these daily comics, which are, are great. And a lot of the Rory Blank comics, they revolve around, like, interdimensional greasers and, like... <laughs> Exist like ex frequently a Rory Blank punchline will be some horrifying existential truth is revealed, like uh, or like a, it will be a representation of a cartoon character, and then Bart's face will melt away, and then he says something devastatingly true, and you know I I, I love that format, but it's funny like the stuff that gets away from you is the stuff that seems to be more meme formatted or the stuff that's more easily memed because it's just like one picture which mm -hmm. tends to be meme more easily. So the first thing I want to talk about is 
something that you have your hands on, which is the Ted Cruz is the Zodiac killer meme, which is uh, there's dispute as to where this originates from. You yourself yeah. said that you weren't I mean, the originator of it. Yeah, I, I can give you like a pretty quick rundown. Of yeah, give me a rundown. I'm, what I'm aware of as being the history of it, which was... Um, in late 2015, some people on weird Twitter started making opaque jokes about Ted Cruz being the Zodiac killer. But uh, that was also like 2015 Twitter. So that didn't really get that was still when that was like a more insular bubble and not like a thing that was recognized as being like a brand as much. Mm -hmm. Because like I, I fucking hate the phrase weird Twitter because that is at this point a brand yeah. identity to some degree or another. And I, I mean, it was then to some to some extent also, but like much more so now, like that is a, a concept that people like do, like people try to uh, people try to write in drills voice constantly now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I mean, I do that. I'm absolutely guilty of that. It, it's so hard not to do that because it's, it's just a great way to phrase sentences. Mm -hmm. But I mean, do that or like try to write like Longmont Potion Castle speaks or whatever <laughs> yeah uh but anyway um so some people are doing that tim faust timothy faust was friends of those people i don't know why i just called him timothy i think everyone who knows him calls him tim uh saw that and in february 2016 i was working on building a set for a show that i was working on with him and he walked over to me and said would you want to some of my friends have been making this joke online about Ted Cruz being the Zodiac killer. I think if we made some shirts of that, we could probably sell like 20 of them and then we could like <laughs> donate the money to abortion access or something. So the next day I drew the picture, I sent it to him. He posted it on Twitter immediately. And within an hour, we'd sold 200 of them. Mm. Like a day later there was an article i think the first article about it was in jezebel but i might be wrong stating like we'd sold we'd sold like enough to donate like two thousand dollars to charity or whatever mm -hmm. and then the meme of ted cruz being the zodiac killer just blew up like it was mm -hmm. everywhere constantly like there was a month or so where like that was pretty much the only joke that i would see people were tagging me in these posts that shit i don't care about like roses are, <laughs> roses are red violets are blue ted cruz is a zodiac killer i don't that, fucking care <laughs> that fucking rules i love bad to, posts to this I love day, bad replies because of that fucking picture people i know on facebook will tag me in news stories about Ted Cruz doing something dumb <laughs> because they, they you've think become like, the Ted Cruz guy. I, yeah. Because I drew a picture of Ted Cruz once I give a shit what Ted Cruz is doing. Um, really? It, I, I don't care. I think he's a repulsive human being, but like the only thing that I would care about at all is if he like fell down a manhole and drank shit water and started shitting his organs out. That Otherwise, would be cool. Or if, you know, like, I don't know, he trips and lands on a fire hydrant and it breaks his jaw. Mm -hmm. Or if a tree falls on him while he's jogging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he gets Madison Cawthorn and him and Madison Cawthorn, you know, get mad at and each Greg other. And Greg Abbott. No, yes, you're right. Uh, Madison uh, Cawthorn was in a car accident. You're right, you're right. It, Greg Abbott was the tree man. He was, he, if a tree falls and Greg Abbott doesn't make a sound. 
Uh, it, um, yeah, presumably. Yowch! He said while that was happening. Uh, but so, <laughs> um, so, uh, so was your sold, reaction? We you, sold uh, six, enough to uh, donate $69,000 to an organization called the West Fund. Nice. Which also is worth noting because, like, pretty much immediately after that picked up, like, people started saying, including, like, in some coverage of it, that uh, the money was going to Planned Parenthood. Hmm. It was not going to Planned Parenthood. It never was going to Planned Parenthood. It was going to an organization called the West Fund, which mm -hmm. rather than providing uh, general uh, sexual health stuff, including access to abortion, the West Fund is an organization that just helps people of low income, like, afford abortions. Mm -hmm. Or get or people who are in areas that are away from clinics afford to go to a clinic. Very, so even very... your your charity was decontextualized in that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was made into like the the much more media friendly sounding thing of like Planned Parenthood, the big yeah. or, the big friendly organization that everybody likes that is attached to like it, I guess a more mainstream idea of like virtue. Mm -hmm. or ver the virtuous thing to do around um, reproductive health care and abortion access. This so, is a much more hard-nosed version of that. Was there, like, was there an initial amusement with the, like, total memification of it, or was it uh, was it only bemusement? Was, uh, was it only just sort of weird, you being weirded out by the widespread nature of it? I, I thought it was pretty cool immediately, but I also like, I mean, by itself, the reason why I, I do, I don't do a, a comic with recurring characters. Like I don't do it. Something that has like a cast of characters in it. Why, why every comic strip I do has new and different people in it with some like occasional returning characters is because I get yeah. tired of seeing the same thing very quickly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I don't like, hearing the same joke more than a few times i don't really mm. like big memes in general because i get tired of a joke before people get tired of telling it mm -hmm. there is the phenomena where a meme becomes so widespread that it becomes uh, funny how annoying it is mm. i think of something like the rickroll where it's like mm. i can get rickroll today and i'll still like close my eyes and <laughs> smile because it's like, ah, this is so fucking stupid. I it's also to. a good song. Yeah, it's just, you, you can never be too mad, you know, because you've been taken to a good place. Um, um, oh, uh, wait, real quick. Yeah. Just just going way, way, the back, way back around uh, to just explain the concept of the death of the author. A good way, a good way to contextualize that, uh, Stephen? Yeah. A good way to contextualize that, I guess, would be like, I don't know, uh, Fight Club? Like Fight Club is about a guy who wants to destroy a bank. Yeah, it got picked up at, at as like there's a very easy way to read like an anti-capitalist critique in Fight Club. Mm -hmm. Not even going to elaborate on that. Yeah, but the big group that that Fight Club is popular with is like weird manosphere guys. Yeah, who also the don't Matrix. see the intensely homoerotic subtext. Yeah, the intensely homoerotic subtext, and then also that like uh, ultimately. Um, yeah, so it's it's very homoerotic film, and then also it's about a guy like rejecting and then ultimately like embracing uh, a, a woman at the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he, he needs yeah on some level, but it's also written by a gay guy, so like you can't. And that's why they used "Where Is My Mind" because Frank Black needed Kim Deal. He needed yeah. her. <laughs> uh, yes, that that is incontrovertibly true. 
um she god um <laughs> you could get, are we getting are we getting off on some pixies conversation we can we can have a pixie sidebar right now uh do you like frank black solo albums better or the breeders better breeders yeah me too it, kim deal is a, a better songwriter yeah i agree musician i agree singer i agree she just has this air of cool about her where yeah frank black seems kind of like desperate and sweaty in a way that's kind of compelling for i like, do the like kind him for that because i am desperate and sweaty i mean that that's like a compelling character but like that's not going to be the one that you want to identify with publicly yeah yeah kim <laughs> deals just you know there's just it's light breezy and spooky that's what i love about breeders albums is how fucking spooky they are because of how sparse and bare uh was it albini that recorded those yeah I think that that's probably yeah, more a... than anything. Like Pod is like his magnum opus. Uh, his uh, current Twitter activity is his magnum opus. He's a uh, he's a left wing guy he now. Is, he's uh, he's, he's so... hanging out with Flores now. He's very funny right now on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. God, just the other day I was rewatching the end of their uh, that one concert video that they did, where like they closed by playing Jordan, Minnesota. Is that the dance? Yeah. The the one about like the town of, of pedophiles. <laughs> is the, that the a, is that a, that a big black song? Yeah. Yeah, the big black song. It's the first track on Atomizer. But they closed their set with like an eight minute version of it, where they started smashing their instruments and then started throwing fireworks at the audience. And there's like just black cats <laughs> exploding on the stage. <laughs> Actually, so Albini had like picked up his guitar, just screaming into the chords, and then just hitting it and stuff. Uh, I really love how ashamed he is of Rape Man. I think it's so funny how ashamed he is of Rape Man. <laughs> uh, that was a uh, that was a funny thing. But you know, talk about how stuff gets away from you. I bet a bunch of you know Albini stuff is liked by people that he probably finds unwholesome because it has yeah. that sort of you know fuck you Midwestern pissant attitude. I, I was I was actually uh, watching an interview with him like two days ago while I was packing orders for my store where he was talking about how one of the main reasons why he ended big black was because he felt like people were showing up who didn't get what the point was and were, I think is the way he phrased it was something along the lines of contributing to the darkness that we were trying to criticize. Or something like yeah, absolutely. Cause you know, you write songs about guys, you're, you're writing songs about horrible guys yeah. And you're writing about them because you think they're funny because they represent, you know, something wrong with the world. And then the people that, uh, you know, like they actually genuinely like these guys and sympathize with them. But, you know, some part of me is also like, should they be denied that? You know, should the jocks who ended up liking dead Kennedy, should they have been cussed out? Well, definitely the Nazis should have been cussed out. I'm glad yeah. I'm glad Jello did that. But Jello was also it's funny if you listen to like, give me your convenience or give me death. He's like, the jocks had it in for us. I hate the jocks, but I know plenty of jocks that like dead Kennedys because for the same reason they like Rage Against the Machine. It's like pump mm. up. It's good pump up music. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, there, there's a great example of the concept of the death of the author. Just that video from like the post 2020 election uh, protest, right wing protests, where there's yeah. like this boomer couple like just dancing to killing in the name of <laughs> to protest 
Donald Trump losing the election. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> because uh, that song in Rage Against the Machine is extremely popular with the right because they do not care about any of the words to the song other than just the part where they say, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me over yeah. and over and over again. Or they recontextualize it because they're like, oh, Democrats were the or- original clan. So some yeah. of those that burn crosses are the same that work forces. So I've, I've thought about that. I think that kind of reads, but I, I think ultimately, like, it's just that the modern conservative ethos can just be boiled down to petulantly yelling, fuck you, I won't fuck do you. what you yeah, tell me. Fuck you. It's a very, the I rest think of the words message... don't even matter. Absolutely. But that message cuts across all boundaries because it is at root sort of uh, gets taps into this anti-authoritarianism that we all have, but tap into in different ways. Yeah. Uh, oh, or uh, the Matrix movies. That's another uh, yeah. example of death of the author where like I mean, the phrase red pill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's uh, loved by right wing bastards, but it's yeah. uh, basically it's a huge meta a- trans allegory. It's a huge <laughs> it's it's uh, basically an allegory for HRT. So uh, you never yeah. know what's going to happen. You also originated uh, another oh, one. Wait, is, uh, wait, wait, wait. Before that. OK, just to just to like put a bow on put a bow that on, on uh, the Ted Cruz thing and how that relates to the specific thing that you mm-hmm. wanted to talk about which was that pretty much like I want to say about three days after uh, we put up that shirt, other people started making versions of the shirt (laughs) with um, sometimes just directly copying the artwork that I had drawn and sometimes doing like variations of it that were still like very clearly compositionally based on what I had drawn, but like they would redraw it so that, you know, at that point you can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. But just like at the second that anything becomes popular online, like people are going to try to grab a piece of it mm-hmm. as a thing that they could possibly make money off. of. <laughs> is there some part of you, which is like, um, okay, you know, more, everyone's trying to live in this terrible capitalist hellscape, try and get your nut in any way possible. Or is oh, there good. a part of you that's like, no, fuck you. This is, you know, make your own gravy. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I, it's more depressing to me than like something that I'm actively upset about. There we go. I, I just sent to the chat. I typed in the words Ted Cruz was a Zodiac killer on Google and then went to shopping. And yeah, this is your art. And this is not your story. Yeah. No. Uh, oh, this is another uh, one on T Public. Yeah, this that's fucked great. up. That's really fucked up. This one's great because they uh, found the image and they did not remove the black background. And it's a white shirt with a black square around the art because the art is white. <laughs> uh, there's oh just fucking hundreds of these now. Uh, it's pretty much unstoppable. Yeah. So I kind of uh, have to resign myself to it to the degree that like I can't I can't I can't do anything about this. It yeah. would take, I mean, I could like hire a lawyer or somebody to take down every uh, copy of my artwork, Mm -hmm. but I ultimately don't see the point. And these people are probably not selling that many of them. Yeah. I mean, the meme is, it's not, it's no longer, it it, it has, it's time has come and gone. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I don't know who wants to buy one of these shirts in 2022. (laughs) 
I, mean, so I like the idea of someone he just like got unfrozen and just discovered Chapo Trap House and is like, oh my god, have you guys heard of this? This shit or, is great. Um, actually, okay, every like six months I'll get one person telling me I should do a reprint of those shirts. And to them, I, I say, and I will say it again now, uh, Ted Cruz has made the joke. Yeah, it's Ted, dead. Ted Cruz has tweeted the words or tweeted jokes about being the zodiac killer yeah. it's fucking dead yeah. it's not funny if you have the shirt get rid of the shirt it's not funny anymore. <laughs> burn it it's not it's done put it in, in a bank vault it is lost so, any cachet that it once had so that this is interesting to me because this is an example of something that gets so huge you almost mm. resign yourself to the fact that people are going to rip it off which segues nicely into another work of yours that i love uh one of my favorite <laughs> works of yours which is the bigfoot signs mm -hmm. so can you explain the bigfoot signs to us yeah so that that also happened on a, a much i think that that felt like a much more rapid ascent uh Let's see. So there's there's a, a wider context to it also that I don't think was ever really publicly clear, which mm -hmm. was so th those signs, those signs that you see places uh, that say, like, in this house, we believe that uh, science, science is, is real, real. Yeah. That, that so forth, so on. That's, Gay people, you know, trans women or women. Sort of they don't fun. even have that on that. They don't even go that no. that far. No human is illegal. You're right. Yeah, that shit. That shit. That uh, very that Elizabeth that, Warren shit. That Kamala yeah. shit. So, I mean, you know, not, none of those things are by themselves bad to have yeah they're just uh, trite it's not it's not yeah. bad to believe any of that stuff but it's extremely obnoxious to put that on a sign and put that in your yard <laughs> yeah a little yeah you know. <laughs> nobody who's doing nobody who's doing that is actually doing anything else they just like the, the kind of tying back to what we're talking about with like the idea that david lynch might be a conservative <laughs> Mm -hmm. It is not only important that you you that the, the work that you consume be by virtuous people, but on some level, some people need everyone else to know that they themselves have the virtuous thoughts. Mm -hmm. So and you, use you just the art. A, you, yeah. you put them all on a sign. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, what those signs in my head mean is you are gentrifying a neighborhood that is full of uh poor and or non-white people and you want them mm. to look at your sign and think oh they're one of the good ones <laughs> yeah. i only ever see those signs in uh historically lower income neighborhoods that where rent prices are going up oh the yeah only yeah the only fucking places i see those signs are where like you know, a, a historically <laughs> black neighborhood that now has two black people on it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they have the um, sign, so it shows that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to gentrify your neighborhood, but look how good I am. You know, but what really <laughs> got stuck in my craw about it was that, um, let's see, spring 2021, uh, the city of Austin had a ballot measure um, that was to ban uh people from camping outside or sitting on the sidewalk for too long or sleeping on the sidewalk mm -hmm. 
basically a, a bill that banned being homeless. Yeah, an anti it's a classic anti-vagrancy law which yeah. uh, is outward they were they were uh, outlawed a, a lot of, in a lot of jurisdictions because of how uh, blatantly anti-human they were. Yeah, uh we we just got one of those uh two, a year ago. Yeah. About exactly a year ago right now. Yeah. Uh, cuz the the Bigfoot sign thing was a year ago. Mhm. Um so, you know, uh I looked at the polling information on it, and a lot of a lot of Democrats voted for that. Sure. Voted for the the bill to make it illegal to be a unhoused person. Mm-hmm. And you know, you go outside, you look at their yards, and they have these signs saying "No person is illegal," yeah. but also you can't sleep outside. <laughs> it's it's hypocrites. You, you made people That's what illegal. I say. That's what I call them: is hypocrisy so, in its purest I, form. I wanted to make fun of those signs because they annoy me mm-hmm. but i also didn't want to make a joke about the contents of those signs you know there have been other attempts at photoshop or there have been other like efforts to photoshop those signs to say like mm-hmm. much more pissy sounding things like in this house we believe in virtue signaling over shut, <laughs> shut the fuck up yeah so the, the the best way to go about like just making fun of the sign itself without uh, necessarily like saying anything bad about you know the mm-hmm. ostensibly wholesome or like decent beliefs expressed by yeah, the sign or whatever is just make least, a, yeah. yeah so just replace the text with something absurd yeah and so the phrase science is real made me think Bigfoot is real <laughs> so I, I changed. <laughs> So I changed the, the entire text of the sign to being about wanting to have sex with Bigfoot. Right, right. And I posted it while I was uh, coming down from being extremely sick of, from my second shot of uh, the corona vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, went back to sleep. And then a couple hours later, it had like 10,000 likes and retweets or whatever mm-hmm. people then really responded to the, people the bigfoot signs people really responded to it immediately also just the text on the bigfoot signs in and of itself is very funny so it's like it, it was a perfect storm you you captured <sighs> the zeitgeist of irritants at these sort of do nothing signs and you also were able to uh construct a pretty pretty darn good joke i gotta, people I gotta ask to. were you aware of the um numerous ebooks on amazon about having sex with bigfoot such such Uh. as bent over by bigfoot (laughs) um, by maggie lent and sex with bigfoot of course there's of course the one that's just called that who's the author there um i was not aware of bigfoot in erotica outside of chuck tingle right quite a lot i i googled it and Satisfying Bigfoot's nightly desires. That's by Layla Sparks. There <laughs> uh, we go. Satisfying Bigfoot's nightly Bigfoot desires. Bigfoot is a foot big by Maddie McNeil. <laughs> Trapped and spread in Bigfoot's cabin. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot. And they have reviews, too, on it. Like, are, How old are, are these? Are these uh, pre-Rory Sun? I... I don't know. Let me see if I can find a year. Um, 20, 2018. So I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. So this is, there's a big, big foot sex yeah, community. I mean, I, I was aware broadly that there were people who had a sexual interest in Bigfoot. I mean, there was like <laughs> some guy who was running for, 
I think a statewide office position somewhere in the United States who like yeah. there was a big story about him about people discovering his Bigfoot erotica <laughs> and being <laughs> perturbed by it and that also overshadowing that he was a MAGA guy. Mm-hmm. It's just so a funny the, thing. Yeah, the He's the a idea of, of having I, I like I don't really like I, I I like making fun of fetishes or not making fun of, but like making jokes involve fetishes that are unfulfillable. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's a, a wistful quality to that. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's it's, a dreamer's quality. <laughs> yeah, me. like I more than I think it's like I don't think that it's dumb for some uh, I don't think it's like horrible that somebody wants to be stepped on by a giant woman. I feel sad for them that that will never happen. Yeah. I mean, regular sex is already funny. So, you know, adding like a weird fantasy on top of it is uh, also very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastical paraphilias are uh, very charming. (laughs) Absolutely. Vor comes up. Vor comes up a lot in my comics because I think shoving someone entirely into another person's ass just it's just funny i know uh, no, that's, that's it's, really it's great that you get off from it i'm very happy for you it's also very funny yeah um, um but yeah so i many. think yeah there are so many more there's okay, keep coming with the bigfoot titles keep coming um, yeah, well, yeah there's yeah. one that's interesting it's because it's it's seduced by bigfoot and ravaged by the yeti <laughs> so i guess like, like their like, brothers tag teaming you they're teaming up <laughs> um satisfying sasquatch it's cool. uh, it's alliterative yeah bigfoot and the and the bbw bigfoot and the bbw gotta get that's good, great that's, that's good, great good uh let me see well there's they're just saying customers who read this book also read and so i guess also minotaurs <laughs> so I'm getting a lot of minotaur. Yeah, I, a beast um, beast men is sort of a general yeah. beast people. See, now we're just into like, oh, here we go, ganged by Bigfoot. So I guess ganged by Bigfoot. Yeah, really... Bigfoot runs a train on you. A train, <laughs> a train of Bigfoots. Oh anyway, my god, that's that, that's basic. I think it's probably the same person writing on very under various different pseudonyms. Um, and, it's you just know, the selling one. These, these books are like two bucks. So right. yeah. I, I don't know how long it takes to write. Are, are they are they like actual print books or is no, it just like a e-books. twenty page ebook? Yeah, it's all ebooks. I feel like you develop a formula for it that you can uh, crank these stuff out like really rapidly, like Chuck Tingle does. Yeah, I, I just don't know like how you come up like how how you continue to do that. Like it, I feel like you run out of ways to describe sex. No, you do a daily comic every day, you know, and you haven't run out of ways to describe uh, existential melting. (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's just it's such a specific thing that like I don't know after a certain point, I feel like how, how many times can you describe one verb? I guess the the same joke, the the person that does the same joke over and over again and Chuck Tingle definitely is guilty of that, but for some reason the joke keeps getting funny because he uh, he because oh, sure. it's not just one joke; it's a set of specific obsessions, yeah, like I, being fucked by my lesbian, being pounded by my lesbian sentient uh, turnip who's also a lawyer. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, there, there's a, there's a, a market for it. That, yeah. That's I'm just saying, like I don't I don't know how like you get the drive to keep doing that. 
Mm. Seems like it would become exhausting <laughs> pretty I mean, quickly. The, the romantic vision I have of it is that it's like an English major who yeah. just wants to be a writer more than anything. Mm-hmm. And this is <laughs> this is what they have to do. Yeah. <laughs> It just got popular and momentum kept like, carrying it. I'm making I'm making twenty thousand a year from Bigfoot sex things, and I guess I could go back to work at the call center. Oh or... yeah, no, absolutely. Like, <laughs> I, I guess I, I'm also not making money off of making. I'm not making a, a, a livelihood off of making uh, erotic fantasy novels, so I, I don't mm. have the same. Uh, push that somebody who's actually like, <laughs> that's a good word possible. for it. Possibly, uh, whether or not they can successfully write a book about um, a, a golem made of cum coming to life <laughs> and fucking them. You just is did whether it. Or not See? they get they get you're pitching it to eat. Yeah, <laughs> that week I don't have that gun to my head. I like that. <laughs> oh, I gotta come up with more cum metaphors. A baby's <laughs> not getting the milk money. It would be it would be terrible if it's just some like, elite rich lady out there who's got more than enough money <laughs> p- pumping out bigfoot erotica and she's she just appropriating need, it she doesn't need the extra income no she uses well it that's to, what <laughs> buy more diamond rings <laughs> she uses her chuck jingle money it's actually it's actually lena dunham that would be yeah oh no oh yeah, no. Uh, yeah. people there. keep making <laughs> I, I don't know i'm still thinking about that and just i just started thinking about this is not related to what we were talking about. But yeah, just, ahead, I, I, get, I get weirded out sometimes thinking about the fact that people keep making pornography. Like <laughs> porn is fine, but there's so much of it already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, do I don't anything know. Else. I don't know why. Like, I mean, be, people continue to make new porn and people continue to buy new porn and people continue to watch new porn. Mm-hmm. But there's so much that exists already. Like there's more porn than you could ever watch in your entire life. Chances are there's at least... 10 hours of whatever your specific fetish is already. I feel uh, that cool, way. I guess. I felt that I, way I, about music for, or have for a while that there's already so much music. Like why yeah. keep making it? Um, that was when I was sort of discovering that I liked eighties music and there was just band after band that I kept finding that I'm like, was blowing my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's more constant innovation in music than in pornography. Like, Mm-hmm. I don't know. Usually, like the biggest limb they'll go out on is like a few years ago. Somebody thought it'd be cool to uh, to step incest, and then Ooh, that yeah. suddenly dominated the market to the point where like <laughs> everything big. has to be step incest now. And now you can see like people desperately trying to figure out what the next thing is, and the best they can come up with is, "What if I got stuck in a washing machine? What if I got stuck <laughs> under the table?" I mean, there's also, I love the descent into specificity. Like, do you know Pantsed Guy? Yeah. Yeah, I love Pantsed Guy. That's, but apparently that's huge. And people keep consuming it. Like, here's me getting pantsed as Jason. Here's me getting pantsed as Freddy Krueger. Here's me getting pantsed at the mall. Here's, and you know, each one, it's like, (laughs) it's iterative and keeps building and people keep egging them on. I'm also like... Uh, I'm I'm uh, mufos with a bunch of hentai artists on Twitter now because there's this respect yeah. I have for them. There's this intense respect I have mm. um, because they're making it. They're making it yeah. as artists doing something very specific and like um, 
I don't, I don't know. There's also like a lot of them are just really good at what they do. There's a ton of craft and care and love put into mm. it. Eventually, I want to get one of them on the show and interview them about life doing porn. That's like that's one of my dreams. Get so. somebody who makes their living off of doing like furry commissions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like There's... That is also like I, I know several people who probably wouldn't want me to say their names because it's not what they do. But like I've known a lot of people who have made or like have kept themselves afloat by doing furry art under a mm-hmm. pseudonym at some oh, point yeah. in time or another because furries uh, are generally pretty discerning about what they like in art and also want to see their fantasy made real. Yeah, and are so, also inexplicably wealthy a lot of the time because they're all computer programmers. Yeah, so they, they will they will patronize your arts mm-hmm. and give you compensate you very nicely for doing the these, I, I think, pretty cute thing that they want to do yeah sure until until it's not you know it's not i don't want to get into some of the weirder like you know there's like nazi furs baby furs uh, yeah that's but in in a broad sense like furries are fine they're they're Uh, doing a thing oh yeah i love furries tons of tons of our tons of the the house of decline fans of the comic are furry people and uh, yeah oh my god i just I got so fucking mad once when I was a few years ago at my old job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to be, I don't know if I told you this. I used to be a, a content moderator for a major social media website. That yes. I yeah. You mentioned that hypothetically yeah. could get sued for mentioning their name, but I don't, I don't know if that's real. I think the NDA was just kind of meant to scare me more than it. Don't has mention their name. Just say what happened. Oh, okay. So I specifically was working on a team that uh, monitored and dealt with like extremist content, mm. mostly like uh, neo Nazis, and uh, one day in the group chat, somebody. So like my my job was just like look at this guy, no notice if he has like an SS tattoo mm-hmm. on his face. Right. Yeah. Whatever miserable work yeah yeah, awful um one day somebody who was on my team in the group chat posted a a a picture of like there was a a puppy play convention in town yes puppy pup play which is sort of furry adjacent but it's sort of its own thing yeah which like they they were they were posting it like oh my god look at this shit uh oh god it's gross and then everybody else in the group chat was going like ah furries gross Uh, uh." and i just snapped and like very loudly said like all right we look at fucking people who like think adolf hitler was right and should have killed more people every day and you're fucking upset because like somebody got a boner watching disney's robin hood (laughs) yeah and that that colored the rest of their sexual life yeah it's it's ultimately harmless which is why it's i mean but it's (laughs) It's this it's this thing that's rooted deep in the Internet since something awful. You know, mm-hmm. it's just always been we hate furries. We hate furries. You know, death to furs. Uh, uh, I mean, a lot of the old something awful people that I, I, I know to any degree, like have said that they regret making fun of furries. I have a friend who was like part of this, this big thing that was in a thread a few years ago or like a decade or like 15 years ago where he and some of his friends went to a furry convention and somebody at the furry convention recognized one of them like having a something awful shirt on yeah. and the furries like cornered them and tried to like make them 
give them their video camera that they had because <laughs> they didn't want to be harassed further by something awful people oh and there's like this big long thread about like this horrible fear loathing thing that happened at this furry convention <laughs> and i was talking to this guy about it he said it was like one of his biggest regrets in his life yeah that he was harassing these people yeah you're not you're 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 doing active harm to people that aren't harming anybody it's yeah. it's uh and uh, something that I, I noticed while I was working as a content moderator is that, like, a lot of right-wing people, like, I don't know, you, you'll see this come up in Stone Toss a lot. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of ire, um, there's a lot of ire focused on furries. Yeah. Because furries are a group of people with, like, a kind of goofy sexual proclivity. Yeah. That it's easy to paint as being degenerate. Yeah. And get people on board with that. Mm -hmm. And then you segue them to thinking, you know, furries are bad. What about gay people? Yeah, what about gay people? It's in the same boat. It's the same yeah. thing, right? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that you, you, escalating. Furries are used as like a wedge to massage people into uh, <laughs> a general disdain for things that aren't you know, very bland, yeah. heteronormative stuff. Yeah, it's the classic, you know, you're different, so we exclude you. And which yeah. becomes the clarion call of online fascists as well. And, so, you know, I, yeah, I would, way rather, I would way rather side than with the guy who wants to, like, draw Donald Duck sucking Bugs Bunny's dick. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it, it gives him joy. My response would be to the Facebook. Uh, oh shit! Delete that. Remember to delete that. Uh, my response. Oh no, it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. fine. I, a friend of mine talked to like a, a big journalist recently. Put his full name in it. It doesn't actually matter. I okay. work for Facebook. Hell yeah! I was hell a yeah! Content moderator for Facebook. They paid me <laughs> the same amount that the gas station outside of town paid people. <laughs> but I had to look at. <laughs> and I would vomit and cry every day. That's much worse than my last I'm job. Just gonna and replace, I was I'm just going to replace. I'm going to replace all of that with this nice little bone jail theme song that I wrote. <laughs> you don't have also, to. Also, I want to. I want to repeat. I had to. I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> um. So talking about furries, I I do want to get back to the Bigfoot signs because. Yeah. The Bigfoot signs were stolen, but it was different than, say, the Ted Cruz because it seemed like you could do more about it. Or there was, like, because it was a smaller meme than the Ted Cruz thing, you still retain that sense of ownership over the Bigfoot signs. Oh, like, what I, was I've your had experience a worse with time that? trying to remove Bigfoot stuff to the point that I've given up. Ugh, that sucks. What, what uh, was that experience like? Okay, so that also, like, happened pretty much immediately. I made the post. It got, like, a... It blew up pretty quickly and then immediately, like, got reposted to Reddit without my name attached to it. And then started going around on big meme pages. Like, I don't know, what's that one? Like, uh, Trash Can Paul or whatever. <laughs> I don't know that one, but that's it's one funny. of those, like, big Instagram. Like, the meme. fat Jew or what yeah. he was before same, people same, clowned him out of time. Same zone. Um, so yeah that got posted there and then it just started going around and around and around mm -hmm. and i decided to like make actual signs because at that point like fuck it might as well mm -hmm. do this uh and to make a point because like my entire initial goal had been to ridicule people for the for like saying the for is uh no person is illegal while also mm -hmm. criminalizing 
people being unhoused in my city. Uh, I decided to use it as a, a way to raise money for a local uh, charity that provides mm-hmm. shelter and work for unhoused people. Yeah. Once again, like, using it for using it for your beliefs. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's half that it's. I, I realized from the Ted Cruz thing that like a great way to, or that if you have something, if you have something that like touches people enough, they're willing to give money for it, then that's a great way to funnel money to causes that you care about. But it also like gives me the grounds to be a huge asshole to people who are ripping me off. Mm-hmm. But because I could say, if you buy this bootleg product, you are stealing from homeless people. Yeah, <laughs> but people did it anyway. Oh which yeah, was, and they kept you doing can't it. Stop them! The second that anything becomes popular online, you you lose like any sense of ownership of it because people don't care who made it. Mm-hmm. It's just but the object exists. There is that thought, and while I would say I'm fully like fuck fuck the people who steal from you uh, and fuck them because they are taking money out of homeless people, but but. Um, uh, there is that part of you. It's like the same part of you, like when you get scam calls from a guy who's clearly mm-hmm. in India, where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, man, I, you're fucking me over, but I don't want to be rude to you because I'm certain your life is terrible. And, you know, there's that <coughs> it does that same inkling of sort of uh, cosmic karma ever get to you when you think about the people who are so desperate they're willing to steal their, your work? Or do you think they're probably just shysters? I I, I don't know. I genuinely think like i can't i can't guess where these people are i i have no way of knowing it's definitely like more vindicating in your head if you imagine that they're just a a shyster who sees like a a way to make a a quick buck off of something being popular but like Mm -hmm. there are other probably people who uh live in areas where there's less money and uh, are probably people who otherwise would be doing the job I was just talking about having because those are a huge part of mm. the the labor market in those countries. Uh, uh, the if, you, if you live work. in Manila, Facebook will pay you 14 cents an hour to look at pictures of people getting blown up. Hey, you mm. know we've all we've all seen the Pearl video. We've all gone to Live Leak. No, I don't think we've all seen the Pearl video. Don't look we've, it up. We've all had to watch uh i was i was gonna i was gonna make a joke about the the like QAnon alleged clinton uh <laughs> snuff film being yeah, real yeah. but i forgot the name of it the, there was an the, there I, I, is there frazzle an official drip. name i'm just gonna start frazzle, telling people I saw, i'm gonna start telling people that frazzle drip is real and i saw it frazzle drip is real i did see it the p-tape is real i saw it <laughs> um I think the, also the Bigfoot signs. Another facet yeah. of Death of the Author that I want to get into uh, is parody. Because yeah. parody is an interesting thing where it, if something becomes transformative enough, it takes on a mantle of the author that transformed it. And you had a recent you had a recent hit, which you sold, uh, sold a bunch of T-shirts on, which was your design of uh, the That's All Folks Porky Pig coming out of the the uh, face of the lady from Uzumaki, Junji Ito's mm-hmm. Uzumaki, whose face gets absorbed by a spiral. Mm-hmm. And you cleverly had noticed Classic. that, oh, this sort of looks like the Warner Bros thing that Porky Pig, er- Porky Pig erupts out of. And uh, a bunch of people agreed with you, and it became very popular. Yeah. Um, was Is there ever any sort of, when you make something like that, because you've done a couple of things like this where you sort of mash stuff up, recontextualize mm-hmm. it, and that's like a very popular genre of also like T-shirt design on the Internet as well. 
Um, do you ever fear like legal action from either Junji Ito or Warner Bros on stuff like this? Or is it like, you know, oh, it's parody, man. you're protected by that. So um, I, I, I know that it's parody. Uh, I So like this also goes back to the thing with uh, people ripping off the Ted Cruz thing. I can tie these two things together. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason why, like, I can't do that much about people like doing knockoffs of that joke, other than you know that joke exists broadly in and of itself, mm-hmm. is that um, copyright laws are different for clothing. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, you cannot copyright clothing. Interesting. And so, like that that law exists because, like, you know, otherwise somebody could say that they have a copyright on pants. Yeah. Have but to pay because five cents to how, Jerry Pants every yeah. every time you buy pants, it, it would be like the birthday song situation, but with you know being able to uh, not have your dick out in public yeah. constantly. Um, so you you can't copyright clothing. You you can put a copyright on like what are the exact lines on a drawing. Mm-hmm. So if somebody like redraws the image entirely, and it has like their hands their brushstrokes across the entire thing their hand is in it you can't do anything about it from the perspective of just being a copyright holder Mm -hmm. the only way that you can actually do anything is if you uh can make a case that it is um damaging your brand Mm. so like when disney takes down stuff it's typically uh under the the suggestion that like this is diluting their brand that somebody is like taking away from uh, or that there's brand confusion happening and like some I can't remember who but it's like I remember it off the top of my head seeing some like street fashion guy a few years ago like do some Simpsons bootleg stuff mm-hmm. but on it it said like his name X Simpsons mm-hmm. you know because like that's how you, that's how you say like this is a, a collaboration between right, the two yeah, things yeah. it wasn't he, <laughs> had, he, he had no like direct involvement from from the copyright holders for the simpsons so they could say like this is infringing on our brand because it's it's uh, suggesting there's an association between that and our work versus like i could draw a picture of like bart um or i could draw a picture of homer sucking himself off and put it on a shirt <laughs> and they really can't do anything about it because like it's pretty clear this is not official licensed simpsons merchandise and there's like an infinite amount of unlicensed simpsons merchandise floating around mm-hmm. absolutely you wouldn't want to um, interfere with black bart i love black bart yeah no i i love bootleg simpsons stuff uh matt graining I know, like, collects bootleg Simpsons stuff because mm-hmm. I know that for a fact because I drew a bootleg Simpsons shirt once that somebody told me that they got a copy of to Matt Groening. I have no idea if that's rules. true. Uh, I've also heard that Jim Davis collects bootleg Garfield shit. Mm-hmm. Well, he's like, got a he, lot of that now. There's so much he's fucking set, Garfield shit. I mean, he's set for life. Like, Viacom owns Paused Inc. now. Mm-hmm. He, if he wasn't like a multi multi millionaire before, he is fucking set for the rest of his life, which and he's probably got like 10, 20 years left anyway. Maybe he'll but, survive forever. Maybe he'll he'll get the singularity done to him. And Jim Davis yeah, will be the first person that exceeds uh, our human mortality. He, yeah. So like he has very little incentive left at this point to try to protect his friends. Yeah, that yeah. Closely. I mean, I'd like to get to that point. That would be like a joy to just see people steal my shit and to not uh, like care about it or to have yeah. it uh, 
in the back of my uh, head. I mean, to some degree, like in my own comics, uh, I foolishly don't put any branding on them. Like I don't, I don't put the website on it, but that's almost in anticipation that they will be stolen without attribution. And that mm. if people really want to find more of them, <coughs> they'll seek it out. So there's this idea in my head, if it, it becomes sort of hard to find, it becomes a little journey for people on the internet mm. and they end up liking it more, which is my weird strategy. But that sort of goes to my general theory of birth of the author, discovering the source of something um, and then having it recontextualized by the rest of the author's work, uh, it becomes this sort of pleasurable event. Uh, the example that I used uh, earlier before the show, which you don't have a context because you, you already knew the strip, was uh, uh, Branson Reese. No, mm -hmm. uh, well, two examples. Casey Green. Uh, Casey Green uh, has, of course, the This Is Fine dog, which became mm. huge. Everybody loves that dog. I still see that today. And you know what? It doesn't really, it's not that old. I, the sentiment is still uh, very apparent. You're, you're trying to calm yourself when everything is falling apart around you. It yeah, communicates and, that very effectively. And also funny enough that just that the, the, the dog is called uh, the This Is Fine now, or This Is Fine dog, because yeah. that dog is actually called Question Hound. Yeah, yeah, he has a name. Real, real gun show heads. No, that dog is question out. Yeah, I. But got, here, oh, so, sorry, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say it got, it got turned. It got retrofitted to being the "This Is Fine" dog against Casey Green's. But <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you just have to accept it because I think that meme became so huge that eventually it. It. I, I would wonder if it actually produced uh, dividends for Casey Green. Because it's I all, it's all shit now. Oh yeah, there's a there's a uh, this is fine dog uh, Funko Pop. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so fucking funny. Oh yeah. my god, that's. I so want to buy one funny. and set it on fire because that seems like the right thing to do. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so that this is fine, and so people see that this is fine. But some quality of Casey Green's work, I think draws people in and makes them want to find out where this comes from and how mm -hmm. which is how a lot of people ended up discovering gun show mm -hmm. um i think uh another one that was interesting to me was branson reese's uh comic where it's uh the first panel is a guy that has a shirt that says no fear another guy mm -hmm. comes in with a th shirt that says what if they made simpsons porn illegal and then the guy's shirt uh, in the first panel changes to one fear which is mm. very funny, but it's like it, it's easy to see how that became a meme format because you just have yeah. to change the text on the middle guy's shirt. And um, uh, what's funny is the original is so much funnier than, than any of the copies. It's it's very funny how people rediscover it mm. uh, and they're uh, taken aback by how funny the actual thing was. And through that, people discover Branson Reese's work, which is uh, really great. Uh, both of those cartoonists, everyone, if you haven't already heard of them, you, you should check yeah. them out. Casey Green and Branson Reese. Classics. And it's Classic. Ab Absolute classic. Yeah, Casey, KC. the letters, Casey. Yeah. Casey Green, who I think, like, genuinely more than any other cartoonist, his work is just, like, at the core of the internet. So much of what he's done mm -hmm. has gone through what is popular culture now without people ever realizing that it was him. <laughs> oh, this actually. He's done so much shit. Another example, another example which I find really interesting is, do you know about the Chubby Mary comic? No. So there's this great comic 
it's this beautiful, <coughs> wonderful comic, and it's about the death of this uh, astronaut called Chubby Mary, and her mm. and her last flashes uh, before she succumbs to the vacuum of space, um, where she imagines herself safe on a planet with her husband. And what's amazing to me about this comic is it was really popular on early 4chan, like really popular. It was like the the ultimate feels comic of 4chan. Um, and it was only like, and this was me at 16, you know, being being like uh, Habbo Hotel Raids and, you know, fuck Scientology on 4chan before it got really Nazi-y. And um, it was amazing to me that this yeah, comic... Yeah, they weren't making swastikas during the Habbo Hotel Raids. Yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. I, I was 16, I was okay? I was stupid. I was, I was fucking too, dumb, okay? okay? I was I dumb, what right? happened. <laughs> I know, I know too. Okay, God. yeah. Before, yeah, but then it became apparent that they weren't joking. You know, we all thought they were joking, but then, but at any rate, but yeah. So these fucking Nazis love this fucking comic, right? Which is amazing. The most cynical people in the world, especially people that had previously been raised on something awful internet, found this great emotional pause in this comic. And it was ten years later that I discovered the author of this comic is fucking Rebecca Sugar, oh, the Steven Universe uh, person. Damn. Yeah. yeah, I'm genuinely shocked because I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now. Yeah. And I did not see that coming. Like yeah. I've seen some of her other drawings and this does not, that's not what I, yeah. Yeah, because she did this when she was like a teenager or something. But it's interesting. It's really good. Yeah, too. no, it's an amazing, like I, I, she was very talented right from the beginning. Yeah. Um, And that so, is... and she got the show at 25 or something like that. So, um. Yeah, but rediscovering that and like seeing how oh it fits into this entire uh, uh, oeuvre of very of like sentimental cartoons that really speak to people on on a very uh, like quintessentially wonderfully sappy level. You know, mm. it it became much more wonderful. She also has this great one about uh, a brother getting uh, hit in the head, and they can only communicate through Simpsons references. She did very good at crying. It's really good. Crying cartoons. It's really, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. I, I love Rebecca. I unironically, uh, wholeheartedly enjoy Steven Universe. And yeah, I, no, I think Steven Universe is great. Yeah. I, more gay, more gay cartoons for kids. More uh, gay cartoons. I, I've, I've heard that the, the fans of it on, online are kind of obnoxious, but I also just don't look at that. Yeah. It's, it I don't does use fandoms. Tumblr. That's another interesting thing about the author is like when a fandom starts altering how a work is perceived. Yeah, as Rick well. and Morty. That was yeah. Rick and Morty. Rick uh, and Morty the, tool. Hey, the explosion watch of it. Rick and Morty has been so <laughs> fucking weird to me. <laughs> you know you Rick and Morty guys, right? How Rick and Morty fandom changed it? Is that what you said? No, it's no, just no. like I, the, the Rick and Morty fans are so yeah. fucking weird to me, especially because like I have a friend who was a assistant on the first season of that mm -hmm. and sent me the pilot for it like six months before that show aired. Mm -hmm. So I was really excited for that show mm -hmm. when it came out on. I, I've literally like day one fan of rick and morty and i have not even watched the most recent season of it because the people who like it just fucking annoy me too much i don't yeah. want to even think about the show at all yeah, yeah it's fucked up when that happens like uh i can't like what's what's a fandom that turned me off of a show uh not really doctor who 
I, I mean, that me, show's already the, terrible. Like the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Doctor Who turned me off of Doctor Who. <laughs> Lord of the, the Rings, Stephen? The Lord of the Rings did that for me with the movies. I kind of was like, I didn't really feel like it deserved Best Picture. And that, that was when it reached like a really huge media saturation. I was kind of mm-hmm. done with Lord of the Rings at that point. Was it, uh, what was it about it? The fever pitch, how everyone was just so uncritically praiseworthy of it? Yeah, because, come on, like, that, the movies aren't that good. Yeah, they're, the Lord of the Rings movies, I actually made this comparison recently. It's sort of, so between the Bakshi Lord of the Rings and the new Lord of the Rings, it almost feels like the Dune movies, where one is mm. super creative but structurally a mess, and the other one is very structurally competent, which is why everybody likes it, because it is able to get like all of the beats of the story in there very uh, quickly and efficiently. Um, which is why it ends up being more popular, but somehow uh, less creative. It's less weird. Like the Bakshi Lord of the Rings is so much weirder and artistic than the Jackson Lord of the Rings, I would argue. But it makes no uh, sense. Yeah. It's, it's, I, mean, <laughs> I think I've told you this previously. Like I, I, I can't really evaluate the Bakshi Lord of the Rings film because I think I saw it when I was a kid. But yeah. I, as I, I've told you previously, I cannot watch R- Ralph Bakshi movies. Because one time when I was like seven, I mm. had a flu and my mom thought it would be cool to show me wizards. <laughs> well, I was yeah. like, I, I had a temperature over 100 degrees. I was hallucinating. And then suddenly there's this thing on the TV with like orcs and swastikas. <laughs> and it made me throw up like on myself. <laughs> and now... Oh, anytime I see like any of Ralph Bakshi's stuff, like yeah. just I have this conditioned response where I just immediately feel like I have to throw up. Yeah, I think there's this uncanny quality to the rotoscoping. I don't know if it mm. that contributes to it in any way. Oh yeah, it also like it. It just kind of makes me feel seasick the way like stuff, especially because it's very cheaply done rotoscoping. So like stuff kind of seems unstuck from where it's supposed to be. Like that's the quality I like very about fluidly. it. Fluidly but yeah. also not quite hitting the ground correctly. Yeah, and, like, it, it, they don't... For some reason, they won't bother to animate, like, the drop shadows on the ground so it looks removed from uh, from the actual background. It's it's yeah. very... But I sort of like that. I sort of like the weird mistakes. I, yeah, I, I wish I could enjoy it. Yeah, it's, that's... It's you, you don't have really to enjoy not, it. It's not an aesthetic preference. It is, like, a conditioned response. Yeah. It's entirely physiological. I feel like I have that too. I have I have that for like bright eyes. Like I can't enjoy bright eyes because I I knew the worst people in the world who enjoyed bright eyes. Okay. <laughs> no. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh, you mean I'm other kidding. than that, you'd love his music? Uh, yeah. It, it, no, okay. no, probably not. I'm I, going to use that to make fun of you later. <laughs> I I here's the, everybody feels like a midwestern emo boy who just wants a gal. You know. Okay. You just want a gal by your side, and you're in Omaha, and it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh. I, I think I, I haven't even like actually listened to more than a couple Bright Eyes songs because for the longest time, the people who I, I encountered who liked them just put me off. Yeah, there's a, a shameful amount of work that I, I've had that experience with where I, I, I've avoided stuff because of people who liked it. Oh yeah, that was like I mean my. I for Pitchfork Media especially like my reaction was anything that Pitchfork likes I hate. Yeah. Uh, so I hated the Arcade Fire. I hated uh, LCD Sound System. I hated the Knife. 
And then a couple years later, I get because, you know, once you turn 30, it's like mm. all of your pretensions about being 20 and like defining yourself by your tastes, they go out the window and then you just yeah. start appreciating stuff more for what it is. And so I ended up picking up LCD sound system being like, you know what? I really like this shit. I know he's a 40 yeah. year old hipster guy, but it works for me. It works for me. Yeah, I, I uh, fucking I only like three months ago found out the name of the song dance yourself clean and oh, yeah. that it was an lcd sound system song i had heard that song like a, like dozens of times when i was in college just mm -hmm. i would go to parties and it was on the in on in the background at parties i think i'm the same age as you guys yeah yeah 32 yeah, yeah. 32 exactly uh yeah so you know you were in college at the same time as i was so like mm -hmm. that song would just be playing at parties constantly absolutely yeah and I had no fucking clue what it was called or who it was by until yeah. <laughs> a month ago. I'm really? not exaggerating. It was like a month ago that I found out what that was. Once again, an example. I completely divorced myself from anything like that because Pitchfork was the website that gave Andrew WK's first album a bad review. Oh, yeah. And Fuck them the for that. the only degree yeah. to which I care. <laughs> I mean, that's good greatest albums review. of all time. Absolutely. I get wet. Uh, he was a big free jazz guy. That's what I liked Andrew W.K. He was big in with Wolf Eyes as well. He was big into noise music. Very yeah. interesting person. I saw him do a set with Nardwar once. <laughs> with Was Nardwar doing, what's his band? The Radiators? The, uh, the Serviettes? Or... <laughs> I think he had another one that I can't remember the name of, but it was just a set where it was like Andrew W.K. on drums and Nardwar on keyboard. <laughs> It's very funny. That's very in funny. In a shitty bar uh, off of, like, just off of downtown in Austin. And, like, Nardwar had his shirt off the entire time, and he's an extremely hairy man. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like uh, a yeah. gremlin. <laughs> that's, that's very funny. So uh, they're just dicking around and mostly play like, they played Party Hard, like, at the end of the set, but it was mostly Nardwar's music, which, like, I don't know if you've heard it, heard much of it, but, it's like, really he's got nerdy songs, punk like, music. He's got like a song that's like, I've got a disease. I'm addicted to cheese. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've got a rash. It's sort of like dead milkman level, goofy ass punk music. It, it's, it's more rudimentary than that. Like one of the songs is called like welcome to my castle. And it's just him in a high pitched voice singing. Welcome to my castle. Welcome to my castle. For three minutes straight. There's no other words to the song. I can't believe he didn't uh, make it as a musician. <laughs> Like, uh, no, he's Nardwar is great. A, a Canadian cultural hero. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I like to get different artists opinion on this, a specific, uh, especially because we've had an artist on the show, good friend, friend, a uh, friend of the pod, Stevie P, who is an NFT artist and did make oh, his uh, nut on that. Um, for me, my opinion about NFTs is. Uh, yes, there is a negative aspect to them, but the reason why I don't do them is less out of any sorts of altruism and more because the audience I've cultivated would kill me if I did them. Hmm. So it's, it's less this sort of high-minded moral thing and more just a practical consideration. It's like, look, I could sell them out now, but I'm like fucking myself with this group of people that like this cartoon. So I just can't. My hands are tied on that. I think you are very like morally opposed to NFTs. I see a lot in your uh, yeah, lot of your work. I, I really version. hate that shit. Like, uh, I would like you to what What do you find very morally opprobrious about NFTs? 
Um, so there, there's a few things. I mean, to begin with, just fundamentally, like it's based around cryptocurrency, mm. which I also hate because the fundamental idea of cryptocurrency is about like trying to push a like right libertarian or uh, to use their their phrasing anarcho capitalist <laughs> idea yeah, yeah. Of, of how money should work that like mm-hmm. you know because like a lot of our crypto first like started gaining traction as an idea after or like when occupy was happening which was a weird time because like there's suddenly this huge crisis of capitalism but uh the left has been so heavily suppressed for so long that like people don't really have the language to describe what is happening Mm -hmm. and so you just end up with like a lot of really really goofy ideas coming to the forefront where like at the time there were a lot of people talking about bringing back the gold standard (laughs) libertarianism ron paul b yeah so like it was it was a as much as it was also like a, a gateway for a lot of people to like go towards left politics and for that to kind of start to reassert itself in a, a very fragile way, which is still, I think, still ha- starting to happen more than actively happening. Mm-hmm. Like in this year, we're starting to see like a, bu- a, a resurgence of the labor movement that like oh, yeah. shit's unionized. Like that, that, that is like the coolest thing that, it, that's happening right now to me. But like that is still very much just starting to happen Mm -hmm. you know um so at the time you got like crypto started to to gain traction as an idea and it was based on the idea that like money would be better if it was divorced from the government entirely yeah just have completely private money you still see this argument like in spike lee's crypto commercial Um, (laughs) did you see that it was funny yeah, it was, was Fox. Um, yeah, right when um, NFTs start, first started gaining traction, I got I, I made a post on Twitter or not on Twitter on Instagram, which I have more followers on Instagram than on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only bring that up because like I, I, I if I ever like talking about like talking to my audience and having a big audience or whatever, uh, I don't think that I'm I, I'm not operating under some delusion that like I'm a huge deal because I have. Nine thousand something. Twitter <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. that like that is it. Uh, much more is happening on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I made a post saying I don't like NFTs. Some guy immediately hopped in to like tell me that NFTs are cool because cryptocurrency is anti-capitalist and asked him what the fuck he was talking about. And he like said that capitalism is when you use state-backed money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> What? That was literally. I, I'm not endorsing that argument. That that was that's a, It's just that like state backed money is used to fund the police, and so that's capitalism. That has and so like when you use different currency. You're doing anti-capitalism. Okay, that's the logic that's, of a Kelly cartoon. That's yeah. But this was a serious guy who like seriously thought that that was had this definition of capitalism that I've never seen anyone else have anywhere ever. In mm-hmm. the entire history of economics, yeah. sometimes you got to just make up your own shit. You know, sometimes you got to feel your own oats. You know, fuck, yeah. fuck Ricardo, fuck, <laughs> fuck John Locke. I don't need any of this economic history. I can, I can make my, my own. Capitalism shit. is when you use state-backed money. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. My problem, I when NFTs came out, I was initially like, that's kind of a cool idea. I want to apply that to every single digital file. And I thought that might be cool because it would change the paradigm of computing. And I mean, then, yeah. 
what I realized was happening was that it was just encouraging the financialization of art, which I do not like at all. And that's yeah. when I that's when I just turn it turned me off hardcore. Um, I don't really even think you should like I don't sell my music or I have a band camp now, but mm. like I don't want people to buy my music. <laughs> I, I just want you this. to listen to it because it's yeah. not mine anymore once I put mm. it out there. And for this like retaining ownership of something and documenting ownership on a eternal decentralized database mm. is so stupid and pointless and all it encourages is is spending more money on something that should be free. Is that's basically my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um so yeah, fundamentally I don't like the idea of crypto itself. Mm -hmm. Two, I feel weird about the financialization of art. Mm -hmm. Uh Specifically, like in NFTs, like just encourage you to make uh, art as a speculative asset for somebody. Yeah, exactly. That that bothers me a lot. I feel less bad about selling stuff that I make just to the end that like I don't. Uh, before I, I when I had that last job that I had that I was talking about, I was making mm -hmm. my comics in my free time, and they weren't really that good because i couldn't spend that much time working on them because i had a full-time job and i had to like do other stuff also mm -hmm. and also i was sleeping four hours a night yeah so i don't think that it's like wholly immoral to right be able to make a living off of your labor which mm -hmm. is ultimately like what selling your art is right i mean in my but fantasy make... it my fantasy for artists is that artists have very nice stipend from the government that allows yeah them... i mean that would be the ideal. Yeah. I, I would stop selling merchandise entirely if there was just like a, a grant that I could get that would just like pay for me to live in, yeah. even if it was like a shittier place than I live. Got to go to the Netherlands for that. They have My, sweet deals there. They're starting a pilot program in Ireland right now for UBI for artists. Nice. They're like picking like a thousand people or something to do that as an experiment with. I, where they I knew one guy like, who sort of just moved to the Netherlands. And he mm. was like, he whispered to me, he was like, no one knows that you can just go here and they'll pay you to make jazz. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's great, man. Shit. And he got like, I don't know, 20,000 euros a year. And just yeah, like who like our jazz here, you know? Yeah. yeah, is there a big Scandinavian <laughs> jazz market? Oh, yeah, they, they clap at it. Uh, you know, it, it represents yeah. the, tum the turmoil inside the Scandinavian mind. You know? Yeah, they love their jazz. I, <laughs> This is my I'm German action. This is my crude metal jazz now. Mm. Oh, I'm sure I, it def, that that for sure exists. Absolutely, yeah. That for I, sure well, I, 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 and not like a, a fusion of the two, like the way that say was it Naked City. Is that thing that that mm -hmm. yeah, where, they have they incorporated elements of like grindcore. Yeah, I'm talking like just a guy wearing a bullet vest and corpse paint and just soulfully playing a trumpet. That that would be great. I think that would be fantastic. Um, uh, so NFTs, there's also like the, of course, I think the thing that is most objectionable about them is the environmental factor that, that beyond all else, I think is the thing that is like, oh, so you're just, you're just wasting more energy for something that doesn't need to have energy wasted upon it. You know, it's, yeah. there's, there's your, this is something that it's not worth wasting this amount of energy for. If you were maybe wasting less energy or none, no, none at all, then maybe it would be a little more emotionally and morally saliable. But uh, 
No, because there is this environmental cost, especially, you know, when we're already rocketing towards environmental disaster, that it feels untenable to uh, try and hold this position. That being said, you know, if, like, my favorite comedian does an NFT because they were talked into it by some guy, you know, Eric Andre, mm -hmm. like, I think did an NFT, and I was like, ah, ah, well, what you yeah. gonna do? I think David Lynch did NFTs, and I was like, ah, what you gonna do? I and hope not. Uh... Something um, like that. But yeah, uh, it, but one thing that I think was very interesting about NFTs and a problem that I think is maybe worth addressing, uh, but I'd like to get your opinion on Rory, because uh, mm. you you work in an all digital medium. So usually mm. when you work in an analog medium, you have an original drawing that you can sell for more uh, than, say, a print, because it, it does represent something unique. Yeah. Um, and it's an actual physical object that is unique. I, um, I do actually make prints. Uh, mm -hmm. Like I, I have uh, risograph prints. I make T-shirts, and I put out like a physical print zine. I, I like tangible content. Yeah, but, but those are also things that are based around uh, being cheaply reproducible. Yes, um, that's that's the specific thing for me. Is that I, I only want to make stuff that can be cheaply reproducible. I don't want to make something that's like a six hundred dollar one-off piece mm -hmm. and that's all rather... available at roryblank.bigcartel.com yes we will that's do roryblank.bigcartel.com <laughs> we'll mention yeah. it again I, I wasn't trying to bring that up to like <laughs> no, that's, that's my job that, like, though so yeah, i'm glad <laughs> he's the he's producing part of my intentions that i i do not want to make anything that has like a price that is inaccessible that's mm -hmm. probably just to do with the fact that like uh my my parents were super into punk when i was mm -hmm. a kid so i just grew up listening to like minor threat and shit like that and so i've just from a very early age got it in my head like shit needs to be accessible to people don't try to like just get as much money out of shit as you possibly can mm -hmm. just make stuff that anybody can kind of grab mm -hmm. if they have like a couple bucks on hand so if there were a version of nfts uh that because okay so what a lot of digital artists want especially uh, not a lot but i assume some <laughs> digital artists want people that work exclusively in a digital medium is something like uh what analog artists have like a, mm. a single piece that is exceptional or different in some way because it marks some form of originality. Um, and I think there is an attraction that people have to this because in our era, era of eternal reproduction and decontextualization, more purchase has been placed on authenticity, you know, mm. uh, and part of why death of the author has died because I think even your prints, which are infinitely pre reproduced, are more authentic because people know the personality behind it. They know the person that is producing them, which which uh, creates a greater sense of loyalty in your material as well. I think, you know, not only have we rejected death of the author as a society, but we've gone in completely the opposite direction where uh, the author is almost primary in how you consume the work. Um, do you have it? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, uh, <laughs> um, or do you have any thoughts on more more just say your parasocial relationship with your fans do you have any thoughts on uh any time that has been weird to you any time you thought it was actually nice what it, does it mean for authenticity it, it, it's always weird to me mm. it, I, I i get freaked out immediately if i realize that like i i don't I feel immediately uncomfortable with 
people having any kind of relationship with my work beyond just they think that my drawings are cool mm. uh it's to that end it's actually very hard to find significant information about me anywhere like mm. I, I occasionally i'll just tweet out something that i think is funny that i've remembered from my past like mm -hmm. i don't know uh one time my mom came into my room because she read a news story about a dude injecting saline into his balls <laughs> and she like had to warn me because this guy like inflated his, his scrotum <laughs> so big that like his dick had gone into his, his scrotum like a turtle going back yeah into it was a tube shell. dick like the kind that i draw yeah just like a yeah like a turtle going back into its shell but with its cock Mm -hmm. And my mom thought that, like, I, I needed to know about that immediately because she was worried that I would do that. <laughs> to this day, I, I cannot fathom why she thought that. Moms, you know, they get it in their head. Or when, when David Carradine died, she immediately came into my room to tell me not to try to choke myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That David Carradine a, boy, a, he a was reverse. on Kung Fu. A reverse world's greatest dad. Um, <laughs> that movie is fucking or, awesome. More than anything, she may have put that idea in my head because I had not been considering that remotely prior. <laughs> <laughs> now it's now um, every day is autoerotic asphyxiation. Oh, day. I'm just constantly choking myself a little bit, no matter oh what God. I'm doing. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> um, yeah, but beyond that, beyond that, like, uh, what do you what do you know about me as a person? <laughs> Yeah, you know, other than you make cool cartoons and have cool taste and stuff, you know, not not that much. No, but that's all you uh, need to know for your public persona, really. Yeah, it, it it there there are people that like I don't know who will just constantly be adding me and stuff, like they're talking to me normally, mm -hmm. like we're having a conversation, mm -hmm. and it scares me because I don't <laughs> fucking know who these people are. Yeah. or where they came from. I, I appreciate that they like my work, but that's not even like a good way to try to befriend me. No, <laughs> it's no. Scary. Mm -hmm. See, I have a little more time for those people. So, okay, this I'll, is going to work. to them sometimes. We're, we're already over. We've talked for a very long time, but I, I, I'm going to get it. I had this roommate uh, mm. who was uh, actually a very popular singer in East Africa. Uh, he was a big East African singer, and uh, he had stalkers, and he always told me these stories about having stalkers, but this guy is a very exceptionally good-natured guy. Like, he's, mm. he's very, like, uh, responsive to that, and he, he had this habit of turning his stalkers into his friends. One time, he got catfished by a guy, but he was oh. so genuinely nice that the catfisher stopped catfishing him in, in between it and was like, oh, I'm sorry, man. Uh, um, and then he became friends with the catfisher. So this That's is the delightful. type of guy that he is. Um, and I was asking him about stalking because I was like, I, w I saw him recently and I was just coming up in Twitter followers and people mm. were starting to do this to me. And he sort of said something that resonated with me, which is these, look, everyone's just trying to make a connection, right? Yeah. You know, people are really sad and lonely and desperate, especially if they're on Twitter trying to make friends, which is like, it's okay to indulge them sometimes, which is yeah. sort of, but obviously it gets to a point very easily where it becomes freaky and intrusive. So sure. it's, it's I, a fine I, I, I like I like talking to people. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy talking to strangers a lot. Uh, when I'm working downstairs, because uh, I have an art studio in my garage, which is directly facing the street, 
strangers will walk up to my my door and they're not people who know who I am from my work. They're usually unhoused people who just want somebody to talk to and I will stop what I'm doing to sit there and talk to them. Mm-hmm. What I, I specifically don't like is that I, to some degree or another, have a a brand personality yeah but that's also like an essential that is also an essential part of making art online yeah because of the fact that like i'm not in a newspaper so i'm not like part of a package yeah it's just the you need something that I people recognize be, yeah, immediately i i have to have some sort of online persona that is as much a part of the work as the work itself that's mm. an unavoidable part of being a uh, independent cartoonist or artist of any sort in this mm. day and age is that you, you have to like be something. And I think that's a great place to wrap up. I think that perfectly sums up, you know, my idea uh, uh, that uh, essentially now more than ever, the author is injected into their work, which mm. is an easy way to sum up what I was I was saying at the beginning. Uh, Rory, I want to, I I like though, just the idea that some of my stuff goes around without attribution because it's fun to me to imagine somebody just seeing it and thinking, Oh, that's nice. And then moving on with their day. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, uh, Rory, do you have any plugs? Uh, okay. God, I have shit. Um, all right. So let's see. Uh, I'm on Twitter at bone jail. Uh, I, somebody else has at rory blank and they got <laughs> banned so <laughs> that sucks. not me not me i'm not doing like a ban evasion account thing somebody else is at rory blank and they are permanently suspended uh initially my screen name was at piss castle but uh people <laughs> kept tagging me and like piss fetish stuff so i, I turned <laughs> it to uh at bone jail on on Instagram, though, I am at Rory Blank. Uh, I have a Patreon where every month I send out zines and stickers that are stuff that is not my normal daily web comics. It's usually like uh, either a, sh- a short story on a specific subject or uh, collages or martial arts instruction or... <laughs> I did one that was just like 20 pages of here's how you punch somebody's face through their ass. <laughs> that's people need to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, you can find that pretty easily. Uh, anything else? Uh, skeletonwizard.com or roryblank.bigcartel.com. Uh, I have stickers, posters. You can find my old zines. I have clearance shirts saying to get out of my garage. Uh, other than that, I don't know. Uh, I would. I want to plug the movie Ruthless People, starring Danny DeVito and Bette Midler. That fucking that, rules. That's, and that's I what think I want to plug. Ruthless People fucking rocks. Uh, I yeah, I watched it for the first time a couple months ago, and like, I brought it up to my parents, and neither of them have seen it. And nobody, I've, you're the first person I've spoken to who's actually seen this movie, and I'm confused by that because it was like it was a it did well at the box office. Yeah, I, it, it's one of those movies you catch on TBS or when TBS was still a thing. It's it's, so uh, fucking funny! It is yeah. such a funny movie. It was written by the guy who wrote My Cousin Vinny, and directed by the guys who made Airplane. Yeah. <laughs> it's got Bette Midler, Danny DeVito, uh, Bill Pullman in his first role, uh, Judge Reinholds. <laughs> Just a, a cavalcade of stars. It's the hardest I've laughed at a movie in a really long time. <laughs> All right. House so of Decline. Mm-hmm. Rory Blank. 
Uh, um, <laughs> everybody, people. the links the links that Rory mentioned are going to be available in the description of the podcast. So just go there if you don't want to use your fingers. Um, and I'm hoping we can take us out with my little song that I, my little 20 second song that I yes. that I wrote 15 minutes yes, before please. the show. I think it would be beautiful. I about, think it would be beautiful. And it's called Stephen. Bone Jail. <laughs>